Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast, where you get your daily fill of seizing, pouncing, grasping, and who knows what else. And you're just seeing right there, the prince of Twitter, the regent of redstate.com, and the swami of seizing, <laughs> Andrew Malcolm at AH Malcolm on Twitter, the swami of seizing. I said, maybe, I'm, maybe I should be the swami of seizing. I don't know. Yeah, you know. And I'll be the president of pouncing. Yeah. There you go, the president of pouncing. <laughs> of course, the reason why I'm talking about this is that uh, over the weekend, <laughs> uh, accountability landed at the University of Pennsylvania, kind of to, to my mild surprise, I was predicting it would happen because when, you're do when, when your $100 million donor says, screw you, <laughs> Um, it tends to tends to get people's attentions, even in academia. And um, and uh, Liz McGill, the 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 erstwhile president of Penn, uh, tendered her resignation voluntarily, um, <laughs> apparently on the second or third try. And uh, they're going to be looking for another president, although she's still um, running the place in the interim, and she'll be there because she's also a, a tenured member of faculty in the law in the law school. So she's going to stick around. But uh, a lot of accountability over at Penn, not so much at Harvard or um, MIT, the other two uh, presidents that were that made fools of themselves last week, um, Andrew, when they uh, testified uh, to Congress. And we, we didn't talk about this last week because the testimony was the day after we, re we recorded the podcast last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a show. I mean, first off, let's talk just a little bit about that. I mean, I've never seen anything quite like that um this, the, i mean the hubris and the you know the the sort of sneering contempt that these three had for the members of congress who were questioning them on this and getting things really morally completely backwards while doing so and, and i bet you that they left that that hearing thinking that they we really showed those guys yeah 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 well that's that talking about the hubris that's the arrogance um, that I think a lot of people associate with uh, New England and with the Ivy League. And, you know, it's not always appropriate, but it sure did come out there that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty special and um, you people need to understand and appreciate it. And respect is earned. It's not demanded. And you, you, can't, you can't demand it. And that's what they were. And making fools of them this is this is the what's the word the the dissonance in the in the whole woke movement is that they they can't believe there's another way uh of thinking and and if there is it's it's really petty and small time but um maybe there's beginning to be a pushback and we can uh, hope that the the woke movement that's so determined to squash American exceptionalism um, will fade over time. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other area, uh, area of academia that's an issue here. But in this particular case, I mean, there are people who are still defending these guys on the basis of free speech. In fact, John Sexton, as we're as we're speaking, just posted a um, um, a warning to people saying, you know. <laughs> If, if, you know, this type of thing is going to lead to more speech restrictions, not to freer speech on campus. 
And and look, I mean, I, I actually think it's a pretty smart piece and people should read it. I don't necessarily agree with John on this, but it's still a pretty smart piece. Um, and that's the difference between hot air and academia, which is that <laughs> you can have two different points of view without without me screaming about safe spaces and shutting you know John Sexton down. Yeah. I mean, I'm managing editor, and he's kind of disagreeing with me here. And if I, if I was as touchy as these three moral idiots were, yeah, not only would not only would I have tubed that post, I would have probably suspended John for a week until he until he wrote a um, you know, one of those um, Mao esque all the ways I have failed the revolutions. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, this reminds me of the of the New York Times or kerfluffle. Well, it was more than a kerfluffle; it was disaster when when they published that Tom Cannon uh, piece um, on using um, uh, took using the military to quell the urban uh, uprisings and uh, the old space between editorial and the news people. Uh, got quashed. The news people rose up, rose up and said they were their lives were being endangered, and they times come cave. It was a new the the old publisher, the one I worked for, Punch Salzberger, wouldn't have allowed that, and I don't think his son would have either, though he was pretty pretty woke. But the grandson, he just caved and. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a it's a shame it's it's what it's what they do in that in that region you know where they hire people that think like them from the same universities i was unusual in that i came from uh, a midwestern university um and uh that may be why i'm not there anymore i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh there is a way of thinking when i left um the new york times in 93 one of my uh colleagues said well who's who's the democrat you're going to work for and it, it, i said well it isn't it's the new republican governor in montana and she was shocked um it's just what's the it, it's groupthink, and I guess it's enforced now, although back then it was just sort of assumed that everybody had the same um, ultra-liberal values. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I think this is why we get, I'm gonna get right back to the New York Times, right? Because that's part of this story this week, too, which is that McGill resigned on Saturday, late Saturday afternoon or early Saturday evening because the board was going to hold an emergency meeting on Sunday. And um, Victoria Coates, I was tweeting about it earlier on Saturday, and I was because I'd written something about it. I said, "Look, it, you know, first off, they met on Thursday, <laughs> and apparently, somebody went. Uh, reportedly, somebody went to McGill and said it's time to step down, and she must have said no because they scheduled another emergency meeting, at which it was at which point it was going to become clear that if she wasn't stepping down, they were going to." Um, they were basically going to walk her off the plank themselves, right? And uh, Victoria Coates uh, on Twitter said, yeah, and if you think that it's a normal thing for uh, Penn's board to meet on a Sunday, especially when there's an Eagles-Cowboys game scheduled, think again. 
Um, and and so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think even McGill realized that the end was nigh, and it was uh, better to it was better to transition out of the job rather than to just get unceremoniously dumped, which is what it looked like was going to happen. And you know, then, I, I, yeah, there, people make a difference out of that. It seems the same to me. She was forced out. Yeah, she was forced out. But um, and then the chair of the board of trustees resigned as well. Um, so apparently he was a little crosswise with the board on this issue. Um, but but at any rate, after this, the New York Times, after all of the after all of this, decides that the real story <laughs> is. Come on, Andrew, you can finish this. <laughs> finish no, you this go sentence. ahead. You do it so well. And it then was, I'll pounce after. It was the seizing Republicans. Republicans were seizing on the moment to force changes in higher education after being antagonistic towards it for, for decades. And uh, it's like, you know, when you've got anti-Semites trying to chase Jews off of campuses, maybe there's... <laughs> Maybe there's not a lot of pouncing or seizing going on here. Maybe yeah. somebody needs to take, you know, maybe somebody needs to take, you know, this into account and deal with it. And I mean, the story is always the Republicans, right? It's never Democrats oh, yeah. screwing up. It's That's never right. progressives screwing up. It's Republicans reacting to Democrats and progressive screw ups. That's the story. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's pathetic, uh, and and it comes from the. That culture thinks it's so smart. It comes from looking down their nose at everybody else. And sometimes there's something under their nose that they can't see. And they get spanked the just, like, just like this piece. It's the same culture. That's the problem, yeah. right? I mean, it's the same culture that's producing, uh, you know, the, the the editors of mainstream media outlets like the New York exactly. Times. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, and they and they they reinforce they reinforce each other. I I for years I've told the joke about uh, which drives some members of my family berserk, but they're but they're not listening. So it's about a, a, a Boston restaurant, and. Um, there's a family uh, eating there, and then next to them is an elderly couple. And the woman in the couple leans over and says, "Excuse me, uh, where I detect an accent? Where are you people from?" And uh, the other wife says, "Well, we're from Iowa." And uh, the elderly woman says, "Oh, well, in Boston we pronounce it Ohio." <laughs> And that's this. That's the same. You know, they used to make a joke that there was nothing in the New York Times that they couldn't. Anything that happened west of the Hudson River uh, was was a waste of time. Yeah. Now that's not true, uh, and and it wasn't true. I spent a lot of my career as a national correspondent wandering all over the country uh, for the Times. Sometimes you felt like you were a foreign correspondent explaining Nebraska to to, yeah. uh, to New Englanders. Um, the New York Times is much more national now. It had to be because their readership was dying off and moving away. But uh, I remember they during Watergate, uh, the national desk said we 
they wanted me to go and write that you know a small town reacts to their career this is before he resigned to the nixon scandal and i said okay well what do you want it to be and they said what do you mean and i said well you know if you want it to be supporting nixon i'll go to nebraska if you want it to be against nixon i'll go to wisconsin (laughs) 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 they were shocked so i went to hastings nebraska and sure enough they were supporting nixon (laughs) i I, I hate those it wasn't man i wasn't in the street but it's like man in the street where you talk to all different kinds of people and you get certain quotes and you get a sense i'm not saying that it's precise but you get a sense for how people are thinking in a place it's the same thing you do when you're covering elections before the election right you get, well, look, a, I mean, you get a feeling for momentum yeah well you can either talk polls or you can talk anecdotes right and the polls yeah. aren't necessarily all that reliable either <laughs> no no they've screwed up a lot they, they've, they've screwed, screwed up, up a lot but that's all there yeah. is you know and and you know i i've been in the position that where the mainstream media is where there's an election going on they've determined it's important i don't know if it's important this far out but that's all they got and the only thing that's happening is the polls and so they seize on the polls and make it into a horse race oh she's up this week uh he's down he's been down since the spring and of course none of it matters because those polls are a moment in time and by the time they write the story from last thursday's poll it's changed um pew research after was it 2016 or 2020, I forget which one, but after the presidential election, one of them with Trump, they, uh, uh, Pew Research did a national poll and they found that that uh, during the primary process, Republicans, almost every single Republican changed their mind at some point. Most of them at least twice, many three times, and a sizable number four times changed their mind about who they were going to vote for. So it's a very fluid thing. Doesn't show up in the polls. The national polls um, are, in my mind, you, you're the poll guy, but in my mind, they don't yeah. matter at all right now because we're 11 months away. Uh, and what's important now are a handful of unrepresentative, tiny, irrelevant states like Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, who are all full of themselves at the moment because their moment in the in the in the sun is coming, but you and you can do a poll, I guess, in Iowa, and Trump's supposed to be ahead, and and there are there's movement there, but national polls they don't mean anything. It's just the desperation of media to have something new. To, I get it. I've been in that position, but. Uh, I think they need to be a little more honest and truthful about what they're doing. And every time they mention a poll, they mention that it's a it's a, a snapshot and a moment in time, and it's the only way we have to measure and and so on. But people think, oh, he's coming on, he's pulling away. No. Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple of things about this too, and I think that there's one particular aspect of polling that people are 
not cognizant of, which is, I mean, you mentioned a couple of factors, which people should always keep in mind, snapshot in time, sample size matters. And I mean, this is when you're doing polls, honestly, I mean, there are plenty of honest pollsters out there. Registered versus likely. Registered versus likely is another one, right? But another thing that doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's hard to find in the data, um, because not a lot of pollsters included, was how what percentage of people who you approached actually answered the poll? Mm. And somebody raised this, and, and I, I mean, it's something I'm aware of, right, in terms of reliability, but um, somebody raised this, and they say, you take a look at some of these polls, and if you drill down far enough, you'll see that the response percentage is really around three, four, five percent which means that they have to do a lot of effort to get enough, you know, get, get, they got to ask a lot more people in order to get, you know, the requisite sample size. So they're, you know, working overtime to do that. And, um, and if you're only getting a four or 5% response rate on questions and, and, and this person used 90%, which I think is way too high, but I mean, if you're looking for a, a true random sample, you really mm -hmm. should be somewhere around the 40, 50% you know, acceptance rate level, somewhere north of 10% at least. And the problem is, is that you're drilling down into a narrower and narrower and narrow number of people who are actually willing right. to answer these things. And that means- And, and possibly dishonestly. Right. That's exactly my point, is that the only people now who are willing to answer these polls, it may not, it may not even be dishonest, but they may be answering it because out of their own motives, Right. I really want to show that these pollsters are, you know, I, I really want to make sure that people know that my guy is out in front sort of thing, Re yeah. rather than just a random, oh, well, this is what I'm thinking at the moment type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean that the polls are wrong. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the context of the Des Moines Register poll, which they do now in combination with NBC in Iowa, which is a state poll. It's not a national poll. And the DMR poll is usually considered the gold standard of, um, of Iowa polling, but they've been off <laughs> the last couple of cycles as well. And especially when you're dealing with caucusing, because caucusing is a big change from just showing up to vote. I mean, you have yeah. to want to get out of your house in the middle of the winter. And you want to have to want to stick around for a six hours. And and yeah. when your guy when your guy gets eliminated, that you have a second choice. And I mean that's just and, yeah. and by the way, George W. Bush won Iowa, and then he won the election. But come on, does anybody remember President um, Huckabee or President Santorum? You know, I President mean, Gephardt. Yeah, Gephardt. Yeah, President yeah. Gephardt. I remember. I remember the. I remember the Gephardt presidency well. It lasted, I don't know, a week. <laughs> Yeah, and so that's what I meant by these unrepresentative states. Yeah, uh, it, it's a cockamamie primary system, and people, you know, it came in because people thought, "Oh, smoke-filled rooms," and "Oh, that's bad." Well, and and on the polling, I I'm especially in 2020, I'm not sure that people were honest. You know, they didn't want any any, uh, even though they're anonymous. I didn't want any pushback, and so they said they were for Trump when they when they either weren't or uh, or they were afraid to say they were Trump for for Trump. So uh, it, it, you can't you can't the media puts far too much reliance on them on it, and people I'm 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 afraid 
readers who are inattentive, they dip in now and then and they look and they say, oh, this pole, he must be coming on strong. But there's so many variables uh, yeah. that, uh, and bad records that, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Trump's up 32 points in that DMR poll, by the way. So I'm not suggesting that there's some sort of, you know, that, there, that we're talking about a margin of error difference here. But what I am suggesting is that maybe they're only talking to the people who are understandably wanting to discuss this at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it would not surprise me if Trump still won the, the Iowa caucus. Uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the person who's been doing a lot more ground organization ended up winning it, despite what the polls are saying. Because again, polls are just talking to people on the phone. Caucuses, you have to actually get up on a certain day at a certain hour, get your butt into the room, into a into a six hour meeting, possibly six hour meeting. Uh, whole January night. Yeah, ever been in Iowa in January? I've been yeah. in Iowa in January. Been in Minnesota. In, for quite a few Januaries, you don't want to go out of the house on a, on a, no. on a January night in, in Iowa. You just don't. So I, I, I am, I am skeptical of that poll. I, I'm not skeptical of the poll. I'm skeptical of the predictive nature of that poll, yeah. and I'm skeptical that that they've got a response rate on that that would make that a reliably predictive uh, survey. That's and that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's yeah. rigged. I'm not saying it's cooked. I'm just saying that when you only have four or five percent of, of a population willing to answer those questions, the uh, the data that comes out of that is probably not going to be reliable. And uh, and I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know about you, and but I, I'm getting... like you said, like you said, I don't think many people realize that. No, I don't think they do. <laughs> By the way, here's a hint. If you're getting a phone call from the 512 area code and you don't want to answer a poll, don't answer the phone because that's where they're all calling from. I don't know why. <laughs> Everything from 512 is a pollster and I've just learned not to answer the phone. And part of the reason is not because I don't want to share my opinion. I do that every damn day. But because once they find out that you're in the media, they won't take they won't take your information anyway. That's what you do for a living. Oh, well, I work in I work in the media. Well, how do you work in the media? Well, I write about politics. Oh, well, sorry, we can't use you. Yeah. And I've just wasted everybody's time. So, yeah, I just don't the even The only bother. poll I've ever been called for was on movie titles. They were, <laughs> this is years and years ago, but they were testing movie titles. And would I go and see a movie named such and such? I wonder what. What movie? I mean, I'm sure you don't remember what the specifics. No, I remember. Were. I remember one of them. It was the one with the arachnophobia. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was all about spiders and eating yeah. people and stuff. I guess I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah. Well, there there was a movie called Arachnophobia, and it's actually pretty good. Creep me the creep me the hell out though. Uh, but it was also <laughs> it was also pretty funny. I mean, it had some humor to it and everything else. Like, but it creeped me the hell out. Yeah. <laughs> Arachnophobia yeah. wasn't bad. All right. Well. I want to get to your columns here uh, this week, um, especially your Malcolm on the Right, which was from Thursday. I hate this Christmas song, and unless you <laughs> actually look at the at the graphic that uh, that Andrew chose, it might be a mystery to you as to which Christmas song that Andrew actually hates, because yeah. there are a number of them <laughs> that yeah. could fall into that category. But you hate Little Drummer Boy. <laughs> I do. I absolutely despise it. I, 
and my teeth grit every time I hear it. And this is my third year that I've been successfully gone through a holiday season without hearing it. Uh, and uh, some of my Twitter people <laughs> have tried to trick me last year where they said, oh, Andrew, you should read this story. And they sent me a link and the link goes to Little Drummer Boy on YouTube or something. And uh, I say, you got rolled. Yeah. You got drummer rolled. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I caught it before it played a single note. Um, I, it's just the most cloying thing. And I hate that parumpa pum pum thing. So I thought, well, I'll have some fun because everybody's happy. They're supposed to be happy and cheerful at Christmas and, and the holiday season. And uh, so I'll be, a, I'll be a little grumpy. I'll be Andy Rooney for a day. Andy Rooney. I don't know what it is about Christmas music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I was just defending a Christmas song today. I probably would have defended Little Drummer Boy, by the way, which is maybe not one of my favorite ones, but it's by far not by far and away not one of the ones that I detest. Um, uh, and people really hate um, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I don't understand it. I love the rhythm. I love the the bounciness of it. It's a great song. You know, yeah. it, there is this, and what really makes it, first off, is Mariah Carey is just a terrific singer, right? It's well-written. It's 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 beautifully produced. It's got kind of like a Phil Spector-ish wall of sound um, aspect to it. Um and but what it has is it's got a great hook. It's got a great hook. Uh, it's got this descending bass line through the re refrain that repeats. It, it, so it, it, it takes place twice. Da, 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 da. And then it has this great resolution at the end. I mean, that's that is pop music perfection right there. And I mean, I, I know people tend to denigrate pop music, but, you know, pop music is a really good art form when it's done well. Yeah. And the lyrics are about Christmas. It's about it's about you know love at Christmas time, and um and it's it's, it's not commercial. Happy, yeah. it's happy. It's not it's not selling products. All I want for Christmas is you know a, a Schwinn bike or something like. That. I mean that would be objectionable. <laughs> it's really a great Christmas no, song. Uh, or is, is it a daisy a, a daisy rifle? No, you shoot your eye out. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. I mean, and that's a great Christmas movie, by the way. A Christmas movie. Oh, it's is a, a great wonderful movie. movie. It's a wonderful movie. Oh, I saw, saw oh. a little. I saw a little clip of Bruce Willis the other day. I, uh, I understand he's not well, but this is from before he was at a roast, and he said he, he, the only reason he came to the roast was to make perfectly clear that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. And I I disagree with him, but <laughs> uh, well, it's, a Christmas movie is a Christmas movie. I mean, very clearly, it's a Christmas movie, and and the follow up is actually really good. Uh, the one that they just did a couple of years ago with most of the original cast. Um, oh, Melinda Dillon couldn't come back. Is it called a Christmas movie? Christmas, and it's about. I don't know that one. Oh, it's really good. If you get a chance, you should watch it. I, I wrote a review of it. I think it was it last year or the year before last that it came out. It's really touching. It's really, really done well. Uh, Melinda Dillon didn't participate in it as as the mother, so they got Julie Haggerty to do it from Airplane. Um, oh yeah, and she was very, very good in the role. Um, and it's all about um, 
uh, Ralphie, his father's passed away and he's, he's making the funeral arrangements. And it occurs to him that his father was the one that made Christmas magical. And now it was going to be up to him to do it for the family. And it's, it's really, it's really touching. I would, I would highly recommend that to anybody who, especially the people and, who. And Ralphie was in it, right? I mean, Ralphie was. Yeah, Peter Billingsley. Yeah, Peter Billingsley yeah. was, was the original Ralphie. He plays Ralphie in this. Um, uh, the, the actor who plays his little brother came out of retirement to do that role again. Um, the, the actors who were his friends in school, they're back. Uh, to, <laughs> uh, it's, it's. Farkas. Farkas. Scott Farkas shows up. Yeah. Scott Farkas shows up and it's actually a pretty cool uh, little cameo by the guy who, who played Scott Farkas. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 would I saw, I saw a video the other day of a woman in front of a restaurant and she said, well, I'm at, I'm in, I'm in front of this restaurant and I ran into somebody very familiar and r- right on that cue, he leans over her shoulder and says, Hey, how you doing? And it's Biff from back to the future. <laughs> He's a pretty cool guy. He's got arrested. (laughs) He's a pretty cool guy too. I I enjoyed him. He was, um, he actually showed up. I mean, he's done some pretty good work and other stuff too. And he he was actually in um, the Melissa McCarthy, Sandra Bullock movie called the heat where there are two cops. She's a a, Sandra Bullock is an FBI agent and Melissa McCarthy is a Boston police officer. Uh, I like that movie. I didn't realize he was in it. He was the captain. Oh. He's the captain, and he's and, and the one that uh, Melissa McCarthy is just ragging on all the time. And he tells Sandra Bullock, he says, "How old do you think I am?" She goes, "I don't know, fifty-eight. He goes, "I'm forty-three. <laughs> he says, "My five-year-old son calls me Grandpa." <laughs> <laughs> he's really, and I've heard him interviewed. He's he's actually a pretty funny guy when he's doing interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But at any rate, back to Christmas music. I gotta I gotta unload on the Christmas song that i can't stand and there's a okay. couple of all right, all right. The, my- the mystery is about to be revealed uh which is um uh what's the one by wham <laughs> oh gosh um um not wonderful christmas time i don't like that one either that's the paul mccartney one but um um last christmas that's what it is last christmas I can't stand last christmas i gave you my heart <laughs> threw it away the very next i don't know it's <laughs> isn't it funny uh how uh uh certain kinds of music tune into your tune into your brain um you tune know there's that, that, that it, there's a classical music and i i just realized not long ago that my parents must have exposed me to it early on. But there was a Ketchaturian movie and it's a saber dance and it's that well Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that I know that music, yeah. And and I guess he got in trouble with Stalin, but uh he uh but the song I knew it and I knew it as a little kid. Because whenever I wanted to get out of drying dishes, and this will show you how long ago it was, because we didn't have a dishwasher, uh, I would do that song. I, I would do that music. 
that yum ta 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 while I was drying it, and just the the, the hectic pace of the music <laughs> drove my mother crazy. <laughs> she was afraid I was going to drop the dish. I mean, I wasn't doing it fast. I was just doing music fast, and she would say, "All right, just leave it. I'll do it." And I go, "Okay, fine." <laughs> Yeah, uh, the uh, I guess you had the you know what I re- you know what I remember that music from because it was um I don't think it was Ed Sullivan because I think I was a little too young to remember anything from the Ed Sullivan show but I would remember I remember um remember those guys that used to twirl the dishes on yes the, yes on on, on oh, pool poles yeah yeah there was a, a variety show where yes. I, you would see that from time. And that was the piece of music they always used. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's yes. right. That's like, Oh, what a memory. I yeah. remember, I remember, remember, uh, uh, I forgot his name. Dr. Wences, Dr. Wences. Oh, Senior Wences. Senior Wences. Senior Wences with the yeah. head in the box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little yawny, yawny, yawny. And, <laughs> and he had they had the boxes always over. He says, "Okay, it's all right. Okay, it's all right. It's all right. It's okay." Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah the well, other one was uh, it's the guy that that made no sense. He's gone now, but uh, Professor Corey. Oh, uh, I thought you were talking about Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, well, you you could do that. I mean, the sentences were all formed and everything, but when you listen to the words, you're right. It's Joe Biden. It makes no sense whatsoever. Whenever they introduced him, uh, Professor Corey, I think it's Professor Corey. Anyway, whenever they introduced him, uh, he would come on the stage and the camera would be on, and he would say, "However." <laughs> <laughs> That's the way he started his act all the time. <laughs> he hadn't said anything, and he's contradicting it. Uh, anyway, I guess she had to be there for that too. But uh, there's some funny, there's some funny stuff, and it doesn't involve swearing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It doesn't involve um, little drummer boys or um, oh, or God. or last christmas or wonderful what uh wonderful christmas time or do they know it's christmas at all which is another one i can't stand oh, um, I, I i could have done that one too yeah but, yeah. Uh, but you know the and the thing i in the in the post that i had fun with was uh imagining uh what it would be like first of all mary rode on a donkey all day very pregnant then she has the baby in the barn and she's in the barn it doesn't smell good it's not clean because she told Joseph, make a reservation. And he said, no, it's okay. It's okay. December 25th isn't a holiday yet. Uh, and there will be plenty of room. And they get there, and there is no in-room. And so she's not happy. And she finally gets the, starts to get the baby to sleep. And three bearded guys show up on camels saying that they were told to come and see her baby. And so that finally they leave. And Joseph goes out to the campfire with some of the uh, off-duty shepherds because he's in the doghouse. Uh, and she sits down in the hay, and a little kid shows up and uh, wants to play the drum for the sleeping baby. I say, you know, no. What? Let's do <laughs> Can we do all this? all the instruments, under- right? Of all the instruments, not a violin. All the instruments. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I used to play the drum and, uh, for many years. 
And I enjoyed it. I loved the syncopation. It was in mostly in a marching band, but also in symphony uh, concert bands. And um, when my parents would have guests over, they would sometimes say, oh, play something for them. And, you know, I, I would say, what would you like me to play for them on the drums? Moon River? You know, I mean, <laughs> what, what are you going to play on the drums? Take five. <laughs> that would be a recognizable song. You do the brushes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it. Uh, no, no, anyway, no. anyway, so I tried to have some fun with my uh, hate for that song. Well, Which you can. Isn't yeah. that old? Isn't that old? It was 1941. Drummer Boy was? Was it that uh, old? Uh, uh, the Little Drummer Boy, yeah. 1941. Oh, I didn't realize it went all the way back to 1941. I thought it was something. Yeah. And then 47 was 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 the fun one. That's uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. That was Gene you know, Autry. Wasn't, the old cowboy. Yeah, the old cowboy was singing cowboy. And I loved, I actually saw him in uh, on his tour in the Cleveland arena and he had champion with him and he asked champion how much is two and two and champ banged his foot four times and i what a brilliant horse <laughs> i mean really it was it was it was great. I never got into Roy Rogers so much. Although Sky King, he had an airplane, so that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Audrey had a baseball team. It was even better. Too bad they didn't <laughs> win anything while he was alive, but you know, yeah. yeah. But it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. All right. We gotta wrap this up here pretty quick. Um also um uh, don't forget to check out Andrew's VIP column, Struggling to Reject Despair in the Season of Hope. He wrote this right after he wrote the thing about hating Little Drummer Boy. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm not sure what that I says. Mean, but... Total despair. I, actually, I, I didn't hear the song, but I would have been if I had heard the song. I think it's because uh, you listened to Last Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta reject I have to say, I do like Mariah Carey. I like that one. I do yeah, too. You know, I think it's lovely. There's two, there's two videos of it. Oh, I didn't there, know that. On, on YouTube, yeah. There's one where she's just a little girl, not a little girl, but a young, young girl, young. yeah, uh, doing it, and it's kind of a simple, old-fashioned video where she's rolling down a hill in the snow, and I don't know, but uh, and then there's a fancy one where she's in the window of the store, and the little girl sees her. So uh, that's the one I like. Anyway, Ed, I well, promise I won't pay. I won't play Last Christmas for you. I, I and I promise I won't play Little Drummer Boy for you. So thank you very much. <laughs> this is sort of like a mutually assured destruction agreement here. So that that's don't do right. That. That's we right. do have to get to uh, jokes of the week. I don't know if you've. Yeah. Uh, I got a. I got a couple here. Um, uh, this is a. This actually. A, this is a true story. Um, was at the, the convention where I actually met you in 2008 in St. Paul uh, at the Republican convention. And there was a speech. I don't remember whether it was Sarah Palin's or somebody's. Anyway, uh, I was heading into the men's room and Alan Simpson was right next to me. Remember him? 
Oh yeah, Alan Simpson. Yes, I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he was a wonderful. What a breath of fresh air. We were running in. We were walking into the men's room, and he looked down at me, and he said, "He's a big, tall guy." He looked down at me, and he said, "Oh, I thought they'd never end." And he stepped up to the urinal. <laughs> he was he was in a hurry. Um, so uh, okay, so Jay Leno. These are old. Jay Leno says these winter storms have left thousands without electricity. It's as if President Obama took over the power companies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. Um, oh, and I, what made me think of it was the Alan Simpson joke. Um, it was a quote. It's a true quote from uh, Wyoming Senator Alan Simpson. He said, those who take the high road of humility in Washington, D.C., are not bothered by heavy traffic. <laughs> <laughs> and I got one other one. Okay. Uh, uh, Seth Myers. He says, uh, an Italian winery is releasing five limited edition bottles of a Hello Kitty themed wine for the holidays. <laughs> it's the perfect gift for your alcoholic niece. <laughs> <laughs> Probably selling out to this day, actually. So, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> All right. I got I got one for you. A preacher goes to visit an elderly woman of his congregation. He sits on her couch and he notices that there's a large bowl of peanuts on the coffee table. And he says, mind if I have a few? And she says, no, no, go right ahead. So they sit and chat for an hour or so, keeping her company and having a nice conversation. And he gets up to leave me, he realizes he's eaten almost all the peanuts out of the bowl. And he says, oh, I'm terribly sorry about that. I really only meant to have a few. And she goes, oh, that's all right. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off of them. Oh, 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 disgusting. That yeah. get me off of, uh, off of chocolate covered peanuts. Yeah, that would do it for me too. All right, one last one here. And this is yeah. a good one. This is not necessarily in this season, but this is still a good one. Guy walks into a post office one day and he sees this middle-aged balding guy standing at the counter methodically placing love stamps, you know, on, on bright pink envelopes with hearts all over them. He then takes out a perfume bottle and starts spraying scent all over them. So the guy's curiosity gets, gets the better of him. He goes up to the balding man and says, what is he doing? What are, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm sending out a thousand Valentine cards signed, guess who? <laughs> guy says, why would you do that? He says, I'm a divorce lawyer. Chinning oh, up business. <laughs> have a happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Guess who? I have a I have a this is a true story. I wrote about the New York Public Library one time and I interviewed the the uh, it's not a receptionist, but the woman at the desk that you ask questions about. This is the one on 42nd Street. And fifth, I think it is. Um, and uh, uh, so I talked to her, and this is this is true. And I said, "Well, what 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 kind of questions you ask?" And she told me a whole bunch of them. And uh, it, it said, uh, "What um, that 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 a, a woman had come in and asked her where she would find Napoleon's love letters to." Um, Josephine. Was it, huh? Josephine. Josephine, yeah. The, the Napoleon's love letters to Josephine. And uh, so the receptionist directed her to the book. 
And a couple of days later, a, a man came in and said, where would he find Napoleon's love letters to Josephine? And she said, oh, that's, that's funny. We just had just had a woman here. He said, oh, that's my girlfriend. She left me a message in it. <laughs> what in the world? You know, they had phones in those days. <laughs> well, apparently... Maybe maybe they were uh, not necessarily free to, uh, to to use phones if yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, maybe. if you know what you mean, yeah. You know what I mean. Wink, wink. Okay. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> well, um, on that note, on that note, while we're celebrating infidelity and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, folks, don't don't you know? Don't give in to despair, and let's tell a few a few more jokes about infidelity while we're at it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, we'll exactly. be back next week. I think we'll be back next week yeah. to uh, to do a a. a we we'll take off the Christmas day. Take off. Yeah. Our, we'll take off for Christmas, but uh, but uh, so we'll 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 get in a few more shots at Christmas. I think in next week's episode. <laughs> but in the meantime, the Prince of Twitter, the Regent of RedState.com, the President of Pouncing, Andrew Malcolm. Oh yeah, a little memory. No. Uh, don't never never suggest a title it will never leave you for the rest of you that's right that's right and uh, and i of course am the swami of season um we will be back next week thank you so much andrew for another great right. podcast see you thanks ed thanks everybody <laughs>